I want you to meet Brian Shaw, the strongest man in the world. He stands six foot eight, weighs 430 pounds. He is three feet wide at the shoulder. His biceps are two feet around. His neck is thicker than most men's thighs. And he says, you know what, I, I know I'm big. I've been big all my life. I, I've never had to prove how tough I am. I bet he has. By the time that Brian was old enough to go to school, he was, a, he was a full head taller than every other kid in his class. At recess, the children would pile on his back, not because they didn't like him, but because they wanted to see how many of them he could carry. Interestingly enough, Brian did not play football. Opportunity missed there, I think, but he played basketball. And when he was in the seventh grade, he went in for a dunk on his goal at home, and he snapped the telephone pole that the backboard was attached to. He snapped it in half. Later on, when he was in high school, in a high school game, a player knocked himself out running into Brian's chest. On another occasion, Brian went up for a rebound. When he came down, he caught another player in the face with his elbow and broke his nose, shattered his facial bones. In yet another game, uh, Brian, and a, an opposing player, went after a loose ball, and Brian landed on the, the, the player and broke his back. But he says, I, I wasn't a dirty player. I seldom ever even went full speed. Since becoming a professional strongman in 2006, Brian Shaw has won every major strength competition in the world at least once. You really, ought to, you really ought to Google him sometime or look him up on YouTube. It's amazing the things that he can do. He deadlifts over 1,000 pounds. He can lift a 255-pound barbell with one hand over his head, either hand, eight or nine times. And if you're, if you're trying to count, there are nine 45-pound plates on each end of that 44-pound bar makes a total of 859 pounds. He bench presses that amount. We stand in awe of a man as strong as Brian Shaw. A, a man who can tow a C-130 cargo plane, a, a, a Mack truck for hundreds of yards, a man who has lifted, deadlifted an SUV 11 times in 75 seconds. Because strength has always been desirable and admirable. It's it just one of those things. Strength is better than weakness in our mind. Strength has always meant safety and security. We admire strong people. Particularly, we admire people who are strong in the face of difficult circumstances or, or strong in the face of, of adversity. This Christmas, we're in a series of messages we're calling, And He Will Be Called. And we're looking at four names of Jesus, names that we find in an Old Testament prophecy that was given 700 years before Jesus was born. Words that were spoken in a period of time when there was great uncertainty and fear and turmoil and instability, a time not unlike the times we live in today. And into that time, into that environment, the prophet Isaiah said a child is coming. Who's going to change everything? He said it like this in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. He said, for a child is born to us. 
A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prophetic titles that talk about the work and the purpose for which Jesus came. Prophetic titles that were a description of what Jesus came here to be and what he came here to do. And last week we looked at Jesus as the wonderful counselor. Today we want to look at that prophetic title that says that Jesus is the mighty God. Now make sure you don't miss this. You know, with this many people in one room, we've got people from different uh, church backgrounds and maybe people from no church background at all. And you may be here and you don't know what you think about all this. But but I want you to see something that ought to make an impression on you. And that is 700 years before he was born, the prophet said about Jesus, he is God. He's the mighty God. 700 years later, remember we we referenced this last week, 700 years later, an angel would appear to to Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, and tell him he's going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is our mighty God. Jeremiah is another one of those Old Testament prophets. One of those men who was kind of like a preacher of the day. He spoke on God's behalf. He spoke to the people. He told them things that God wanted them to know. A lot of times their message was negative because God's people were kind of messing things up. And they had to be told that judgment was coming. They had to be told that there's going to be consequences for for the things that you're doing and not doing. but, But occasionally in the prophets, we read beautiful things. Like Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah chapter 32. In verse 17, a scripture that talks about how great and how mighty God is. It says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Look at that first word. The New Living Translation says, O. The King James Version says, Ah. Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your powerful outstretched arm. But listen, that's not ah, like ah, like something pleasant and relaxing. It's actually a Hebrew word. It comes from a Hebrew word that means pain or fear. In fact, six times in the Old Testament, it's translated alas in the King James Version. So that means it's not ah. It's, ah! Right? Like, you're going to be when you open your credit card statement in January. Correct? (laughs) So Jeremiah starts this verse out saying, I'm a little bit afraid to be talking about this. This makes me a little nervous to bring this subject up. What subject? God's power and strength. His power is so immense. His strength is so limitless. He is all strength and all power. And I tremble a little bit when I bring this up. Jeremiah says, I have to take a couple of deep breaths, you know. I have to swallow hard and I have to control my shaking when I tell you that God made everything through His strength and through His power. And nothing is too hard for Him. Nothing is too hard for Him. Now some of us showed up here today with some problems. I mean, life is a mess. Some of us got 
got a marriage that's tanking. And I just tell you, nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God. Somebody's lost a job. Or they've got a business that's going under. You don't know where to turn. Financially, it just looks bleak. Can I tell you, no matter how bad it looks, nothing is impossible. Nothing is too hard for God. Maybe a doctor has given somebody some bad news about an illness or a condition. It might not be yours. It might be a friend or a loved one. And nothing's too hard for God. He's the mighty God. He's all-powerful. He made all that there is, everything, the heavens and the earth, through His strength and His power. And nothing is too hard for Him. There are some important characteristics of God that we all ought to know about. They're kind of long words, they're complicated words, but they ought to just roll off our tongues if we're believers. They're called the omnis. And omni is Latin, and it's pretty simple. It means all. But it has the the connotation of being all-encompassing. In other words, it takes in everything there is to take in about whatever it is attached to. And so for for thousands of years, God has been described this way. He's been described as being omniscient. God is omniscient. That means He knows everything. He knows everything. The Bible says God actually knows our thoughts. And that means some of us are in trouble. He's reading our minds. Do you know I'm an amateur mind reader? Yeah. Let me give you an example. Get a, get a pen or a pencil. Follow along here, okay? And a piece of paper. Now, this is an all skate, okay? Everybody plays. I want you, you, you start out by picking any number you want to pick. Now, you, you can, if you want to pick you know, 11 trillion, that's fine, but there's math involved, so you might want to keep it simple. All right? So pick any number you want. Everybody got a number? Okay. Now double it. For example, if you pick 25, it's 50 now. Okay? Now add 10 to that number. So if you pick 25, it became 50 when you double it. You add 10 and it's 60. Yeah, very good. You can't be taught. Okay. Now... Divide that number by two. I just threw some of you for a loop right there. Division just knocked you down, didn't it? Divide that number by two. And then finally, subtract the number that you first picked from the number you just got when you divided by two. And the number you're left with is five. Right? Okay. It's always five. If you didn't get five, you made an error somewhere, and so, you know, F in math for you. (laughs) Now, you just take your F, you know, like a big boy or girl, and that's, just face it. Accountant, work, bookkeeping's not for you. You do something else. You and I both know that I'm not a mind reader. I'm not omniscient. I just know a trick. But God knows everything. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, it says this about Jesus. It says, In Him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
all, all wisdom, all knowledge, all the depth of that, all the value of that lies hidden in Jesus. He is our mighty God. You know what that means? That God is omniscient? It means I can go to Him with all my questions and all my concerns and all my worries and everything I've ever wondered about and every doubt I've ever had. I can go to Him with anything. Because He's omniscient. Because He knows everything. God is also omnipresent. That means He's everywhere. God exists everywhere at once. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Hey, how, how about a God? What about a God that is everywhere all the time, who's omnipresent? There's some powerful implications to that, right? It means when we think we're by ourselves, we're not by ourselves. When we think that whatever it is we're doing, whatever we're involved in, whatever we're allowing ourselves to partake in that no one else knows, no one else sees, is simply not true. God knows everything. He's present everywhere, all the time. And that means I'm never alone. That means I can be secure in His faithfulness because He's never going to be someplace else when I need Him by my side. His power and His love are always with me because God is always with me. He's omnipresent. And then God is omnipotent, omnipotent, all power, all strength. That means God can do anything. There's nothing too hard for Him, right? That's what Jeremiah says. That means, listen, that means He can help you and me with anything. That means that there's no person there's no circumstance, there's no situation, there's no occurrence that can derail His plan for my life. Now, His plan may not always look like my plan. And a lot of, grow, of the growing up that we have to do in our relationship with God and our walk with Christ is bringing our plan into alignment with His plan. And when we understand that and when we're walking out that process, that's when we can understand that there's nothing that can derail that plan. There's nothing you face. Listen, God's not up in heaven biting his fingernails, you know, wiping sweat off his brow, worried about what's going to happen to you. He knows. He knows. And that means I don't ever have to be afraid. Some of us really need to see the power of God at work in our lives. I mean, some of us are facing circumstances and situations that make us think, God, where are you? Maybe we're, we're looking for something to break loose or, or work out or, or come our way, and it hasn't yet. And, and we're going, God, where's your power? 
Today we need to know that Jesus is our mighty God. That His power is real, but it may show up in our lives in ways that we do not expect or that we weren't looking for. This morning, I want us to see three important truths about God's power in our lives. Three assurances, three promises about God's power, about Jesus as our mighty God that we can see working out, fleshed out in our lives. And here's the first one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus' power is working in us. Jesus' power is working in us. You know, we've all been taught, most of us, regardless of religious background, church background, we've all been taught that we're working for God, right? And and a lot of people will go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, where it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. They'll see, see there, it's up to me, i got to work it out. But we, we miss Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, which says this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So where does it come from? Where does the power to please God, the desire to please God come from? It comes from God. It's not something we have to generate ourselves. And we, we are so self-centered. I, I told somebody, I told a couple people this week in different conversations, you know, you, we all understand, right, that other people are not thinking about us as much as we think they are. They're too busy thinking about themselves. We're always worried that, oh, everybody knows. Everybody's looking at me. Everybody's thinking about what I did. No, they're not. They're thinking about themselves. When I, when I first became a Christian, I, I thought my relationship with God was about me. Didn't you? We thought it was about us. You know, make my life easy. Take all my problems away. Make my life wrinkle-free. No struggles. No troubles. Some of you can relate to that. Some of you can relate to that just a couple weeks ago because you went out and bought lottery tickets. You said, God, just let me win the Powerball and and we'll go halves, me and you. You'll get some and I'll get some and I'll be good. But if last Sunday's offering is any indication, none of us won. See, God's power is not about making my life easy. His power is at work in me, according to the Bible, to change me, to transform me, to to take me away from being selfish and and self-centered to being someone who's Christ-like, who's like Christ full of love and compassion and peace and patience and gentleness and self-control and all the other fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's God's power working in us. But but we don't always get that. We don't always see that. We think everybody else gets the breaks, right? Things always go well for everybody else. I mean, somebody at work got the promotion we thought we should have got. 
Or we think that God's put us up on a shelf and He's forgotten about us. Nothing seems to be happening in our lives. So let me tell you that God's power is real. And Jesus' power is working in us to change us and transform us and allow us to become more like Him, to become more like Christ. And sometimes that happens in periods of relative inactivity in our lives. And sometimes it happens when the storm is beating us half to death. But God's power is at work. Jesus' power is at work in us, working in us. And the second truth that we need to see is that Jesus' power is working for us. His power is working in us and it's working for us. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 29 to 31. It says this about God. It starts off talking about God. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. Do you remember when you were a little kid and you could run all day long? Those of you that have little children, you, you understand this, right? It's like they, they're wound up in the morning and they run all day long. But there comes a time. There comes a point where they just collapse. I've seen my son, more than one of them, sitting at the dinner table doing this right here. (laughs) Trying to eat. Why? Because they've run all day long. Isaiah says it happens, to, it happens to everybody. In fact, the, the, the word that's translated youth there is used in other, um, other places to mean athlete. The, the strong people, the well-conditioned people, the, you know, kind of the best of the best. Which means even the best of us get weak and tired and exhausted. It happens to everybody. If that's where you find yourself today, you're not any different than anybody else. It's what happens to us. But now, feel this with me. It goes on to say this, verse 31. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Man, how good does that sound? How good does that sound today? It hits home for some of us because we are tired. I mean, we're just fried and worn out. It took everything we had in us to get to church today, right? To get those kids in the car and get here. And then it's, it's Christmas. And, and in addition to the normal, regular bus- busyness of, of the rest of our lives, we've got three or four or five or six more layers piled on top of that, right? More activity, more stuff going on. And we are tired. We'd like nothing more than just a chance to lay down a little while. You know, in the last couple of weeks, I can't tell you how many movies I've started watching. You know what I mean? Fully intended to watch Elf. (laughs) I just didn't make it. Because when I sit down and get still and get quiet, I fall asleep. We're tired. Well, the good news today is that 
God gives power and strength to the weary. In fact, that's who His power and strength is for. The Apostle Paul is one of my heroes. The greatest missionary who ever lived. He's an he's a, he's a, a intellectual, well-educated, well-spoken. He was a great preacher and teacher. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Planted churches all over the known world. But he had a problem. He had a weakness. He had a, something that handicaps him. And you know, all these thousands of years later, we still don't know exactly what it was. Some people think that it was physical. Paul, for a, an occupation, made tents. And that was done with very uh, heavy fabrics stretched across heavy wooden frames. And, and, and tent makers tended to become crippled in their legs as they got older. So some think that, that it might have been that. There's, a, there's another instance, in, he tells the Galatians, uh, you would have given me your eyes had I asked for them. And some people think that maybe he had an eye problem, a vision problem. And then still others think that maybe it was some sort of spiritual struggle or an emotional struggle. Whatever it was, he compared it, he, he compared it to walking around with a thorn Sticking in your flesh. He said it tormented him. And he begged God to take it away. Not once, not twice, three times. He's knocking on God's door. Please, God, take this away. God, take it away. Lord, please take this thing away from me. And each time God responded to him, in the same way. And he tells us what, how God responded in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. God says this to Paul. 2 Corinthians 12 verses 9 and 10. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Paul, all you need in this situation is to understand grace. To understand that even with this limitation, even with this, this crippling thing, whatever it is, I still love you. I'm still working in you. I'm still working for you. I'm still accomplishing great things through you. And my power shows up best. Not in people who, who think they're strong, who think they're capable, who think they can handle it, but in people who know they're weak. And then look at what Paul says. He says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. How crazy is that? We spend all our time covering them up, hiding them from other people, pretending that everything's okay when it's not. Paul says, I, I, I'm glad to boast about them. Why? So that the power of Christ can work through me. So that people can see it's not me, it's Jesus. He says, he goes on, verse 10, That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. And listen to this last sentence that Paul wrote. He says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because it's God's strength. Because Jesus is his mighty God and it's not him. It's not his ability. It's not his, his intellect. 
Paul, one of the greatest men who ever lived on earth, when he brings it all down, boils it all down, he says, it's when I'm weak. It's when I can't do anything. That's when I'm strong because it's God's strength working for me. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where we are or what we're going through. God loves us. He cares about us. He has a plan for us because Jesus' power is real. And it's at work in us today to change us, to make us more like Him. His power is working for us so that we can face things that exhaust us and make us weak because then our strength comes from Him and not ourselves. And then the third truth we need to see today is that Jesus' power is working through us. It's working in us. It's working for us. It's working through us. I love what Jesus says to his followers in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 <clears throat> follows up the Gospels. It's, it's after Jesus has been raised from the dead. And in Acts chapter 1, it's literally just moments before Jesus goes back to be with the Father. Before he leaves his followers on this earth and goes back. And he's giving his followers some final instructions in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And here's what he says to them. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now let's break this down just a little bit. Jesus says you will be my witnesses. He didn't say we would be his scholars or his theologians, or his Bible experts, or, or his preachers. He said we'd be his witnesses. A witness is not expected to be a skilled speaker, or a great teacher, or a counselor. A witness is just somebody who tells somebody else their story. Who tells somebody else what they have seen and experienced. In this case, Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell other people what you have seen and experienced because of me and because of the work that I do in you and for you. Being one of his witnesses is simply telling others about what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus says, you can do that anywhere. It can be done everywhere, not just in church. Anywhere. You can do it in Jerusalem. That's the place where they were at. That was the city they were in. That was, that was home base. That was hometown. You can, you can do it here in the place where you live and work. He said you can do it in Judea. That's the nation that Jerusalem was in. Was, that Jerusalem was the capital city of. So, so you can go outside your, your hometown. You can go out of town. You can go into your region and be my witnesses. And he said we could even do it in Samaria. Folks, that was enemy territory. Remember that we said the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other? Despised each other? A Jew would travel hundreds of miles out of his way to, on a journey if it, it meant he didn't have to go through Samaria. Jesus said you can even go there and share. And Jesus said that's possible. Not because of our schooling, not because of our background, not because of our status, 
It's possible because His Holy Spirit gives us the power to share the good news of Jesus. And I want to make sure that we know something today. We don't, this, this is not a prevalent attitude in this congregation for which I am thankful. I very seldom, if ever, have run into anybody that's part of New Hope who thinks that it's my job or Chris and Anya's job or Michelle's job or the elder's job to do the work of the ministry. Because we're all ministers. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a minister. If you're a follower of Jesus, the responsibility for the ministry is on your shoulders. God gives you spiritual leadership to come alongside you and to help you hone your skills, help you learn how to do that a little better. But the the, the responsibility for the ministry is on you. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a teacher or you have a business or you're an employee or you work in a factory or on a farm or you're you're, you're an athlete or or, you're president of the chess team. Whatever you do, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a minister. And Jesus' power is available to work through every one of us if we'll just step out in faith and go. Jesus' power will work through us. Now, can I tell you what I'm not talking about? Because you start talking about this and people get nervous. People wonder what, what I mean. I am not telling you to go out and stand on a street corner and start preaching the gospel. And I'm not telling you to go knock on some stranger's door and ask them if they know Jesus. And I am not telling you to go buy a bunch of gospel tracts and start leaving them in public restrooms. Well, there's a ministry. Or, or, or start leaving them in restaurants as a tip. Oh, come on. Please, listen, please. A couple things that I ask. First of all, if you're wearing a New Hope t-shirt, don't cuss anybody out. Okay? If you've got a, if you've got a spiritual bumper sticker on your car, don't, you know... Don't road rage on somebody. You know what I'm saying? Don't make any. Don't tell them that they're number one. You know, make gestures at them. And and, and if you're going to leave a gospel track as a tip, put some money in there too. You know, preferably twenty or twenty-five percent. I mean, go above and beyond. I'm not calling you to do any of that stuff. But listen, now if God's telling you to do it, you listen to Him, not me. Okay. If you've been through our Explore membership class, you know that our witness strategy here is invest and invite. Invest and invite. Invest ourselves, invest our lives in the lives of people around us through relationships with people that we love, people that we live with, people that we work with, people that we we go to school with, people we play golf with. And then when God opens a door, we feel the time is right, we become witnesses. We share our story. We tell others the story of Jesus' work in our lives. And then guess what? It's not up to us to close the deal. That's God's work. We're just responsible for witnessing what we know, witnessing about what we know. It's God's work to seal the deal. There are a couple times each year when people's Spiritual antenna go up. Now, some of them don't go up very far, but everybody's goes up. Even the most, even the most hardened sinner, even the most bitter, I used to go to church but never again person, 
even the most anti-church, anti-Jesus person you know, there are certain times of the year when their spiritual antenna will go up just a little bit and they'll be open to spiritual things. When are those times? Easter is one. When's the other one? Christmas. They can't, because they can't get away from it. It's in the music. It's in the decorations. It's in the manger scenes, isn't it? It's in a candy cane. A candy cane testifies to Jesus. They can't get away from it. So that means that, that it's a good time for us, to all of us who are ministers, to pray and ask God, how can I serve my friends and my family in this season? How, how, can, I, how can I help them? And God, I'm praying for you to open doors for me to, to speak, to invite them to church, to, to share my story, to share the story of Jesus, the story of our mighty God. Jesus' power is real. And His power is working in us to make us more like Christ. And His power is, is working for us. When we're weak, that's when we can be strong through Jesus' power. And Jesus' power will work through us if we will make ourselves available to Him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, here's what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5. Remember now, this is a smart guy. This is an intellectual. He had, in the New Testament, of the people we know about, he had one of the best educations that was, could, could be had in the day. He's a writer, preacher, teacher, church planter, philosopher, theologian. And yet he tells the Corinthians, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. I'm nobody special. I was waiting for the amen. <laughs> because see, I'm nobody special, and if you think I am, you just haven't known me long enough. I'm just an ordinary guy who loves Jesus. Maybe you can relate. You're just an ordinary person trying to make your way the best way you can. But listen to me. Something extraordinary happens when Jesus' power comes in and works in us and for us and through us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus chose ordinary people to be his followers. Ordinary people. He didn't call on the religious elite or on the scholars or on the, the, the spiritual leaders. The people he called weren't Pharisees and Sadducees and rabbis. Jesus called blue-collar workers. Half of them, you know, could have been on deadliest catch. They worked the fishing boats. That was their job. He called a despised tax collector, somebody who was universally hated. He called this... this uh, militant, revolutionary, who hated Rome, who wanted nothing more than to see Rome fall. He, he, just, he, took, he took people who had nothing going for them in the world's eyes. But Jesus took those 12 ordinary people, and when His power worked through Him, they did extraordinary things and changed the world. 
In fact, in the book of Acts, at one point, Jesus' followers, of Jesus' followers, it has said, the men who have turned the world upside down have now come here. We're just a bunch of ordinary people. And you may remember this. I've told you this several times before. That the original New Testament word for ordinary in the Greek language is idiotes. Yeah. That's where we get the English word. The word my mom wouldn't let me say when I was a kid, but I'm grown now. That's where we get the word idiot. But don't get offended. Because it just means we're ordinary people. It just means we're, we're ordinary people, but we know an extraordinary God. We have a mighty God. And, the, and, the, and think about the things he was able to accomplish through 12 ordinary people who were willing to allow God's power to work through them. My goodness, how much more could he accomplish through 250 or 300 people who were willing to allow Jesus' power to work in us to change us, to, to, to make us more like him, who are willing to allow Jesus' power to work for us and who are willing to let Jesus' power work through us to accomplish unbelievable, extraordinary things. Bow your heads, please close your eyes.